Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Tonight, we're going to do a standalone message called Instructions for Living. (coughs) Excuse me, Instructions for Living. We're going to be in the book of Titus almost exclusively tonight. So let me tell you a little bit about who Titus was. Titus was someone who traveled with uh, Paul and Timothy on part of their missionary journeys. And most scholars believe, or many scholars believe, that uh, Titus was the one that Paul gave the letter of 2 Corinthians to and said, hey, go deliver this to the church that's in Corinth. They also believe that he stayed there for a while and helped them establish a foundation to teach a little bit, to train them, and then talk about the way that believers in Christ should be living um, as people who are saved and born again and made new. And so um, we're going to pick up um, Titus chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. This is Paul writing to Titus, telling him, I want you to tell everybody who are believers this message. And he breaks everybody down into four categories. Uh, so all of you will be in one of four categories. Um, and, and he gives some instructions on how we're supposed to live. So let's jump in here at verse 15. This is Paul talking to Titus. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They're detestable and disobedient and worthless for doing anything good. Notice he doesn't say that they're worthless. He said that they're worthless towards doing anything good. And so I want to just for a second look at this phrase. Such people claim they know God, but deny him by the way they live. Now, if this statement is true, which it is, if people claim to know God, they don't really know him, and then they deny him by the way they live, the adverse has to be true as well. Those who do believe in God acknowledge him by the way they live, okay? So the people who claim to know God, but they don't really serve him, deny him by the way they live. Those who really serve God, really believe in him, acknowledge him by the way they live. Now, before I get into what these instructions for life are for us as a, uh, different categories of people in this room, I want to remind us something here is that the Bible, and we've talked about this ever since the very first Sunday of the establishment of this church, The Bible is not a rule book for you to follow that earns you acceptance, forgiveness, or admission to heaven. It doesn't doesn't do that. You have no way, zero way, to earn God's grace or his gift of salvation. That is a gift directly to you and to anyone who puts their faith in Christ. That's it. You can't earn it. We talked last week about all the different world religions that are in, um, in America and that 70% of the, the believers that, that call themselves Christians actually believe that, um, that other religions are okay, that you can earn your way into heaven. This is false. It's completely unbiblical. It's not right. You cannot earn your way into heaven. You got to take that one free. You got to take that gift of grace free only through faith in Christ. However, 
after you're born again, after the spirit of God lives inside of you, after you have been made a new creation, a new creation, a new creature, the spirit of God lives inside of you and your desires begin to change and you have an ability to change that you didn't have before. And you have an ability to follow some life instructions that God, the creator of everything has given us. The following these instructions don't earn you into heaven. That's already done. But after that, now that you've been made new, the creator of the universe has lined out ways that we are supposed to live. And if he knows how I'm designed, he knows how I'm made, he knows what my tendencies are, he knows what um, the, the, the struggles I'm going to face, he knows exactly what things I'm dealing with inside of my flesh, he knows exactly what I'm going to deal with in my family and my circumstances and my friends or the people that are in my environment. He knows every bit of that. I would think he knows the best way to live. And so we are going to talk about these instructions for living, not as a way for you earn your way into heaven. That doesn't work. You are going to, we're presenting these today as ways of a loving heart that responds to God, that instead of denying him by the way we live, we acknowledge him by the way we live. And in doing so, become a light in the darkness. So number one in your notes, first group of people, first of the four groups of people he talks to. Excuse me. Instructions for older men. Instructions for older men. Now, older men, this is not like your great grandpa. When older men, this in our culture and in our, you know, kind of our understanding and our, you know, Western civilization today, this would be adult men. Typically men who are married, they've got kids, they're working, they're providing, they've been through some things in life, got a couple scars, they've been healed of them, God's brought them through some things, these older adult men, okay? If you qualify for that, I want you to listen, and if you don't, I still want you to listen, because uh, your turn's coming up pretty, pretty quick here. It'll hit everybody, okay? Titus 2, verse 2. Teach the older men to exercise self-control to be worthy of respect and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Now I took the, 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 the highlighted points of this scripture and bullet pointed them out real quick. So let's just go through them real quick, older men, which I barely fall into this category, but yes, I'm, this is me. Um, number one, self-control. Do you have self-control? control, not the, com- the kind that comes from just a personal fleshly discipline, but the kind that comes that is empowered to you through the spirit of God. Does that discipline enacted in every way or just a few ways? You know, I saw a t-shirt the other day that said, uh, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm, I'm really good except in this one little area. You know what I mean? Don't point at anybody like that's you. I heard you on the way over here. Don't do that. Um, But it but you know, I'm good in most areas, but there's this little area that I'm kind of not really good in. And I just leave this one just because, you know, I'm human. Just leave it alone. But I'm good in all these areas. That self-control, that self-discipline needs to extend to every area. Older men, adult men. This includes anger. This includes the way we talk to people. This includes, are we going, are we ready to throw hands at the drop of a hat? You're not going to talk to me that way. 
what is going, you know, I'm not talking about defending, you know, people who are, who are being attacked in some way. I'm talking about, is there self-control being exercised in us? Second thing, live wisely. What does that mean? Make good and godly decisions about ourselves, family, and our future. Are the decisions that we're making with our family, with our job, with the way we're disciplining kids, with our finances, with the way that we talk to our family members and treat our wives, are these things wise? Are we living wisely in these areas? He says the the third thing is a sound faith. And I like the fact that he said not just a faith. He's not talking about just having a faith in something. Just believe in something. He's not saying that. He's saying have faith directly in God Almighty, Yahweh, the the God of the Bible, the most high creator of everything, a faith in him, and not just having some faith that he's out there somewhere, but a sound faith that is established and rooted in truth. Next thing, are we filled with love and patience? This is probably a harder one for guys, especially older men. Because it's very easy for us to be filled with anger and frustration. That's easy. But being filled with love and patience, that's a little different. Well, Matt, how can I tell if I'm filled with love and patience? Well, let me uh, just give you a quick scenario real quick. And um, a hypothetical scenario for you. Let's say that you have a, a child who's, you know, in that six, seven, eight, nine years old range. And it's been a long day, you're coming home from work and they're after school and it's not quite dinner time yet and the kid decides, you know what, I'm going to go get a drink of water. And they go to the, they go to the kitchen, they open up the cabinet and it's on the top and they can't quite reach it and they're trying to, you know, shimmy the glass over to them and then that thing falls and shatters on the ground. Does that kid in that moment react in sheer terror because he knows the angry man that's coming around the corner? Or does the child go, I need to stay put because my dad's going to come help me? Is the shattered glass the mistake? Does that earn that child? What does it matter with you? You are a moron. I told you not to do that anymore. Get up and move over. Why did you do this? I told you, there's plastic cups right here. What is your problem? Did that child get that or did the child stay put because he knew that his dad wasn't going to come around the corner irritable, angry, and frustrated, but he's going to come with love and compassion and be like, you all right? Okay, you're barefoot. Don't stand. Don't Don't move and walk across the glass, pick the child up, put him in a safe position, and then say, go take a shower, rinse off, because there might be little shards of glass on you. You're all right, I got this. It's a kind of a hypothetical scenario, but I think you understand what I'm saying. And do the children and the people in our lives, when they make a mistake, do they know that they are gonna get reamed up one side and down the other, or Or is there going to be love and patience shown to them? The last one that's not in this list, I put a little asterisk next to it because we'll talk about it later is integrity because it's mentioned a little bit later. But let's move on. Number two. 
instructions for older women. This is not your great-grandmother. Same thing as the older men. It's adult men or adult women that you're talking to. Typically married, have kids, been through some things in life, got a little bit of experience. The Lord's come through. He's answered your prayers. Titus 2, verse 3. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. He talks about four things here. Let's just quickly go through them. Not slanderous. I would say gossip ties to this too. And before you uh, get too far down this road, um, this uh, slander and gossip uh, doesn't only happen in women, by the way. It happens in men too, especially in sports circles. Did you hear who doesn't like their coach? Who's unhappy with their contract? They want to get traded. It's all kinds of gossip and stuff going around, trying to control the narrative and how things are presented. It's a situation and an issue for everybody, but he highlights it here for the older women, so that's why we're highlighting it here. It's not talking garbage about other people. It's not claiming that I know the real inside scoop or the story of that person who's sitting on the other side of the building and even going as far as saying, you know what, I can't even talk about them because, oh man, it is so terrible. It's bad. And you know what, I can't even say anything, especially about last Thursday when they, oh, forget it, I've I said too much. You know what I mean? Those little shots, those little bits of gossip, those little bits of slander, he says, avoid this. Not be heavy drinkers. And I think um, he made this in a wide, spree, uh, wide, um, a wide berth, I'll say. It's spread wide statement. This is not just, oh, some people will say, oh, well, you know, I just drink when there's like celebration. That's when I kind of get a little bit tipsy on that stuff. But the rest of it, I'm all right in. Other people say, oh, I don't drink like that. I just drink when I'm under pressure or I need to cope. He doesn't allow there to be any area where we're like, oh, yeah, we're doing really good, but just leave me this one. No, he says, in any scenario, this heavy drinking needs to be avoided. Teaching others what is good. Last week we talked about um, God did not leave in the human being's control of what to determine what is good. He determines what is good. So how do we teach others what is good? We know him and we know his word. Train younger women. And uh, I watched earlier this week a, um, a guy who was in the late 20s, early 30s, and um, he thought that he could, you know, kind of work his way into being an NFL quarterback after never playing football in his life which was a bad idea. But he went, to a, he went to a quarterback's coach, and the guy goes, okay, well, let's just see where you're at. Let's just see if you can make, like, two or three or four of those pressure throws that these guys make under, you know, split-second duress and making decisions and stuff. And so he says, you know, here's the ball. Let me see you throw it. And the guy didn't even get thrown. He goes, stop. Okay, you're holding the ball wrong. Hold it this way. He adjusts his shoulders. He tells him which foot to put his weight on and how to throw the ball further. And what he does is he gets in a hands-on approach and shows them how they're supposed 
to do something. And then when he does it well, he applauds. And when he doesn't do it well, he goes, let's go back to what I taught you here. There you go. And he tries to get it into him through training, repetition, and instruction. He doesn't try to get it into him by like berating them. You're worthless. You can't do this. Why? I already told you once how to do this. How do I have to tell you again? All of that stuff is not how he's saying to berate the younger women. He's saying to train them hands on and how they're supposed to react. That brings us to number three, instructions for younger women. This would be everybody who's not in that older women category. If you're high school or college age or single, not quite married, here's what he says to teach this group of people. Titus 2, 4, and 5. The older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. So let's go through these in the order that they're listed here. Love their husbands and children. Well, I don't know about you, but I would think that um, when you think about your mom and your dad, typically in most scenarios, you would think like, oh, my mom's the one who loves me, that my dad's the one who corrects me a lot, right? At least in the guy's scenario, that's how it was for me. But why does he highlight the fact you need to love your husbands and your children? He highlights this because it's not just, oh, I love you. I love those guys. They're my life. I love them. He doesn't do that. He's telling them to turn their attention, their care, and their affection to their husbands and their children. If we do that, and people who are going to get married follow that trend, follow those principles, here's what we avoid. Look at that guy, how he treats his wife. My life would be better if I was married to him. My life might be better if my kids acted the way those kids acted. Things might be a little bit less hectic in my household if my kids behaved like those guys, if my guy acted like that guy. He's saying, don't. Let your heart and your affection and your eyes wander. Love your husband and your kids. It keeps your affection and your care and attention on them. To work in their home. I'm sorry, live wisely and pure. This is the exact same thing he tells the guys, by the way. This goes for everybody of all ages. Live wisely, live pure. Don't fall into immorality. Don't follow a path that would take you in a way to live opposite of what scripture would teach. The third thing, work in their home. I find this interesting that he didn't say, um, stay at your house. He said, work on your home. So I don't know about you, but home is where my family resides. It's not in our house. The house is set up in a way to where it would be inviting and a reminder of the relationship that we have. It is a reminder of the foundation that we have been establishing our home on. It's, it's positioned and, and used in a way that when other people come into our house, they would realize this isn't just a place where you live. This is 
home and he's in, he's encouraging the women the younger women teach the older women to teach the younger women hey establish that foundation of your home that the the attitude of when people walk in would understand oh this isn't just a bunch of disjointed people living under the same roof this is a home it says to do good and then he says, be submissive to your husbands. Now, this is one of those that you go, ooh, I would like to skip right over this one. Just, we're going to go to the next point. Because our culture has tried to redefine relationships and roles and stuff to a point where it's just insane. And so when I saw this one, um, I'm going to, take a little bit of time here just to briefly talk about it. It's not a marriage seminar or a series on marriage, which we'll do sometime in the future. But it's important for everybody to hear the expectations that are lined out for scripture for both husbands and wives. Be submissive to your husband. This does not mean that if you're one of the wives who stays home during the day and your husband goes and works and that he comes home and You've just spent hours cleaning that house and it shines, you know, like it smells like that fabuloso stuff, like that really good cleaner you know, that purple one that you can't, you have to go to a certain store to get. It's just really good. You're like, oh man, it just smells like good or like lavender or something. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that when that guy walks in and kicks off his dirty shoes right there by the door on the floor that you just mopped and leaves his socks in the kitchen because that's where they just came off when he got a drink out of the fridge when he headed home. And then the rest of the clothes are all over the perfectly vacuumed floor. And then he walks into the, the shower that everyone just picks up after him. And then he comes back in and says, somebody make me a sandwich while I sit here on my recliner and watch football. That's not what we're talking about here as submission. We're not talking about the kids are on pins and needles and when dad speaks, oh my goodness, I got to go do something. That's not what we're talking about in submission. We're talking about having a heart that says, you know what? There are roles here that God has defined for us as a family. And he's the one that's supposed to be making a final decision because there's nothing worse than a two-headed monster. Am I right? So at that point, if you're a guy in here, if you're a husband in here, you'd be like, yeah. He's like, yeah. Good. I'll pick up my clothes now, but I've got the rest of it. Yeah. Submission. Let's look at the requirements of husbands. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives, period. End of scripture. That's it. It would be easy if that was it, right? It would be easier if that was the way it's supposed to be going, right? Like, love your, love your wives. Good. I'm not always great at this, but I love her. Yes. Submit. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, that's not where the scripture ends, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The Bible has small sentences that have enormous ripple effects, and this is one of them. And as I read that scripture again and was reminded about it, I thought, oh, that's how the husband who is being submitted to is supposed to act. 
And so I found just in a very brief time of study and reading and sitting and praying and thinking about this in my prep this week for this message. And I thought, well, what did Jesus do for the church? Now, when I say church, I, I mean not just our local expression and body of believers. I mean the church. Every believer in Christ throughout history is the church. What did Jesus do for the church, also referred to as the bride of Christ? What did he do for her? And there are far more than the thing, the seven things we're going to go through right here in our next bullet points of the notes. But these are enough to uh, fill up most of my time, trust me. Number one, he was a living example. He was a living example. Here's what I mean. He exampled the life that should be lived in pursuing God. He lived the example. He didn't just say it. He didn't just say the words. He walked the walk. He didn't just say, yeah, I'm good with God. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. Yeah, and then go and live some other way. Nope, he was a living example to his bride and to those who were around him. Second thing, he set guidelines to follow. Matt, are you telling me the husband's going to walk in here and tell me what to do? And no, 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 no. He said, if, we are go if you're going to follow me, if you're going to love me, then we have to honor my father. And so here's how we should live. If you have not established for your family, husbands, the things that are or are not going to happen in here, these things we're going to focus on because God is first. We are pursuing him. And when we try to bring these outside elements in, no, those are going to stay outside because in here, we got to set some guidelines because we are not living like everybody else. We are trying to pursue God with everything we have. The third thing, he loved others. He loved others. And when I say love... Again, I don't mean like that flowery, goofy love that makes guys uncomfortable. Come here and give me a hug. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. It doesn't delight when someone screws up. It rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always hopes, always forgives, always endures love never fails are those the characteristics that can be said of us in dealing with other people husbands or is it i'm not wasting my time on that guy are you kidding me i'm not helping them they're worthless and move on does that love come out of us to other people Next one, he showed compassion. He showed compassion. Men, we can have a, especially husbands, we can have a, a tendency to have a heavy hand when dealing with certain things. And I'm, I'm sure at some point it's appropriate correcting wrongs and things like that, but do we lend towards this? 
or do we lean towards understanding and compassion? What's the story behind the person who just messed up? Next, uh, next bullet point, he prayed. If you want to write next to it, all the time. Not once in a while. Not when he felt like it. No, he prayed. He prayed. He snuck away to go and spend time with the Father. He prayed consistently. And that led him to the next point. He obeyed God's leading. Matt, how did he obey God's leading? Let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He asked his heavenly father, if there's another way we can do this salvation thing without me going through the most brutal form of human torture to exist up until this point and be hung on a cross for more than nine hours as he laid there bare open and naked, bleeding all over the place while his family and friends and neighbors walked by and watched him take his last breath. If there's a different way for this to happen, then I'm asking for it, but I'm going to follow what you say, not what I want. The last thing, he showed us the perfect father-son relationship with God. It would probably be better to say father-child relationship. As the only begotten son of God, he pointed people back to his father. His whole life, his whole existence was to help us reconcile to the almighty God. That's why he lived. He showed us the way to have the perfect father, son, father, daughter, child, father relationship. And so here's a honest moment for you. I sat there after writing these down and went, oh, this is good. And then I wrote the last one and looked at it and went, oh, There are many times that God and the spirit of God directs me as a pastor to speak on something to a congregation, to our group of people or to our fellowship of believers here. Many times he asked me to speak on those things that I have still work to do on these areas, and this is definitely one of them. In fact, almost every message, even the ones that I've been privileged enough and fortunate enough and through God's grace be able to walk through and understand, yes, this is how it's supposed to be, I actually, is because I screwed it up before and God bailed me out. I want to remind us of a saying we have here at RCC, it's this, there's no superheroes in this room, and that starts with the guy behind the mic, regardless who it is. Nobody wears capes and doesn't walk and flies around in here. It doesn't happen. We're all people pursuing Christ that have our own issues and environments and tendencies and things that we got to deal with. And as I looked honestly at some of this list this week, I went, you'll write a couple of those. But there's some of them that I go, man, I got tired of it and let that one slip. My discipline wavered on this one, and I just let that one go, and <sighs> got to change some things. 
next line of your notes, Jesus set the perfect example for men to follow with how to act to our wives and children. The perfect example. I had this in my notes phrased as a question, but I'm not going to ask it as a question. I'm going to make it as a statement. If we as husbands lived with those characteristics, if we lived as an example for everyone around us to follow, to set guidelines and boundaries for what is and isn't going to happen in our home, if we truly exampled love towards everyone in our home and others, if we showed compassion, if we consistently prayed, if we obeyed God's leading, if we showed and lived the perfect child to heavenly father relationship or a very good one, if that was our standard, my guess is there would be a lot more willingness on the wives end to trust the decision that guy's going to make. You will not be perfect, Actus husbands. You will not. But what this does is it turns our attention away from, I'm better than that guy. Jeez, you should be lucky you got me and not him. Some of these guys I see out here, I got them beat. I'm better than most of them. It turns our, away, our, our attention away from comparing ourselves to other people who live in a culture who have no desire to honor God with the way they live into the perfect example. And it shines a glaring light on our deficiencies and reminds us why I still need Jesus even today. Number four, the last group, instructions for young men, for young men. It's men probably in that teenage, college, young adult, not quite married, that, that age of life. Here it is, Titus 2, 6 through 8. In the same way, encourage young men to live wisely. You yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing to say about us. So what are the things that he's instructing young men to do? Number one, live wisely. Make good, godly, honorable decisions with your life, your future, and the things that God's entrusted you with. Prioritize truth. In our culture today, there's so many competing ideas and competing philosophies on how people should live, and, and, and all of them have these different angles and different approaches, and they want people want to be the one who has the right way to do something, and a lot of that effort is wasted because we know what the truth is. We find in God's word. We've got to prioritize the truth over everything else. Not what I want to be true, not what I hope to be true, not what I wish to be true. What is 
true and then look at my life and go, I got to submit to that truth. Not to me, not to a pastor or minister or anybody else that you look up to. No, you have to submit to the truth of the gospel. These last few things that are here are the things that were mentioned earlier for older men that we're supposed to pass on to younger men, self-control, sound faith, filled with love and patience. And that last one I said we'd come back to is integrity. Look at what Titus says about it. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. That means that we can't be teaching folks stuff and then not live in what we taught or at least doing the best we can to try to make those things that we taught become a reality. Those four categories effectively hit every single person in this room and anyone who's lived throughout history, by the way. But we'll just deal with us. Men of every age, women of every age. But there's something that Paul mentioned to Titus in every single one of those scenarios that kept jumping out to me. It kept coming out over and over again. And he actually mentions it again in Titus 2, 11 through 14. Let's read that together. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living, sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. I don't know if you caught it, but if you go back and read the instructions in every one of those categories, Paul talks about do good, do good. Teach other people to do good. Be full of good works. And here he says, we were saved. We were freed from sin. Jesus saved us to cleanse us, to make us his very own people. And then the very last thing is totally committed to doing good deeds. When I talk about doing good deeds, I don't mean making your list of things that you think Christian people should do throughout the day. I didn't swear today, check. I had an opportunity to hit happy hour with those guys and I passed it up because I wasn't gonna be drinking today, check. I had a chance to budge a couple numbers on my taxes and get me a little bit of money extra back on that tax return, but nope, I didn't do it, check. Saw that guy on the corner asked me for a dollar. I gave him two. Good deeds. Check. I am Christianing today. That's not the goal. The goal is to have a heart that is so loving, grateful, full of gratitude and submitted to God. I would happily do those things. Why? Why do the good deeds? Last line of your notes. Following these life instructions and doing good deeds are evidence. God has changed us. 
and our ways, believers in Christ, acknowledge God by the way we live. Acknowledge God by the way we live. I think this is a, a really appropriate message for the time of year that we're coming into. It's a time of year where everyone, you know, we're getting close to Thanksgiving and close to the holidays and Christmas. And, you know, everybody's excited to be outside again after, you know, being locked up for all this time for, you know, COVID and all that stuff. And um, it's a time where people start reaching out. They start to give. They start to be a little kinder unless you're at the parking lot of the Walmart. It'll never change. It's just always bad there, especially Christmas shopping, right, you know? But this is a great opportunity for us to do good works, to do good deeds. Why? Because if we really believe God, then we're going to acknowledge him by the way we live. And if we don't, we're going to deny him by the way we live. You can show exactly what God has done in your life by the way you open up your heart and treat other people. You are supposed to live a life that is calm, that is quiet, that is honorable, that is respectful, but it's supposed to be something that the people around you who are not serving God look at your life and go, what is that? What is that relationship you have with your husband, with your wife? How in the world can he, are you telling me that he made the decision? Oh, he heard me out. He listened. Wait a minute, your husband listened to you? He heard you out? There wasn't a big old argument? I mean, there has been before, but I mean, why would you let him make the decision because he's living this kind of life? I trust his relationship with God. I trust the fact that he's living right. He's living wise. He's living holy. He's living pure as much as he possibly can with the power of the spirit of God that's inside of him. He is doing that. I'm trying to do the same thing. He's out there going to get some stuff to provide for the family. I'm here making sure this home is really good or vice versa. However, it works out for your particular dynamic. We are fulfilling the biblical roles that have been given to us. And following the lead of the creator, it's always better. Man, the pictures on uh, Instagram last night at that party with them falling all over the place and laughing and all that kind of stuff looks kind of fun. But they all woke up with headaches today. They all got to go find some more of that to deal with the problems. Some of them puked on their new rug, their new shoes. It may look fun for a little while, but I guarantee you that following scriptures and instructions for life as believers in Christ is always the best thing. Rest assured, these are not Matt's instructions for life. They would be very different. They would be severely skewed in my own favor. 
they're the ones that Paul laid out for us from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that us as believers can submit to those and follow them. If you're sitting here today and we went through whatever category you fall in on this message and you've gone and read the things that he mentioned there and went, oh, just like I did, it's all right. There's grace for you. But the bad thing is, is that, or the, not the bad, but the, the heavy part of the message is this. You're responsible for what you've heard. As much as I'm on the hook to be responsible, I got to stand before God that I brought before it, it to the best of my ability, everything that I feel like he put in front of me to deliver to, not just to you, but to us today. You're now responsible for what you do with it. If you see the list and go, I got some work to do, welcome to the club. Because we all do. If you looked at the list and said, I'm nailing it, got it, 100% that you're lying. No, I'm not. You're lying to yourself. Just ask your wife. Maybe don't do that here on the way home. <laughs> The word of God is supposed to pierce, divide, get to the core of us, show us the root of our actions, and then tell us what to do to change. And that's what we're trying to do. Let's bow our head and close our eyes.